from Luke 7, 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine. You say, He has a demon. Son of man has come, eating and drinking. And you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for the privilege that we have of hearing you speak through your word this morning. And Lord, now we acknowledge our need for help. So please, Lord, send your spirit, open our eyes, grant us the understanding that we need this morning as we hear your word. Lord, help us to believe and to walk by faith according to your word. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Not long after uh, I began serving as a regular preaching pastor um, of a congregation, uh, I found my favorite online radio station, uh, WCPE. The station is based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it is known as the Classical Station because all it plays is classical music. But the station is unique in that 24 hours a day, the station always has a live host telling you about the classical music that you are listening to. And these are not your average radio DJs. Each of the classical music radio hosts speak in, in soft, hushed, soothing tones as they talk about the music. Sometimes I, I almost enjoy listening to the radio host talk about the music more so than I do 
listening to the music itself. So I've been listening to the station on my computer almost every day for a little over 13 years now, and just a few years ago, the station came out with their very own iPhone app. So you can now listen to the station through their app on your iPhone. So you know, since uh, I'm such a big fan of the station, I downloaded this app on my, on my phone and, and was quite surprised to see that, that on the app, they had included pictures of the radio hosts that I had been listening to for so many years. And man, I tell you what, it was quite shocking to see what these people really look like. <laughs> see, I had been listening to them for so long, you know, hearing, hearing their voice had been a part of my everyday life that I had, you know, images in my mind of, of what they might look like. I imagine some, you know, being a certain age. I imagine some to have a, a, a certain look. You know, I, I expected them to, to look fairly intelligent. But then when I finally saw their picture, it was not at all what I expected. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they are very intelligent. They just don't look that way. In their, in their picture. Now, now that can easily happen when, when, when you see someone for the first time that you have only heard about before or only listened to their voice before without seeing them. And it may also happen in our life with Christ. Especially if you have grown up in the church, you, know, you, you, you may have expected that, that if, you, if you sought to live your life the right way, you know, the way that your parents and your church taught you, that your life would, you know, turn out a certain way. That your life would, would really be blessed. That, that it wouldn't be such a struggle. But, but, but here you are now, having lived that way for a long, long time, and to be honest, you know, things just, just haven't gone the way you expected them to go. At times, you, you, you catch yourself starting to think that, that maybe, maybe Jesus hasn't lived up to what I thought he would be for me. Well, in our passage here in Luke, it seems that for John the Baptist, that may have been, that he may have been experiencing something very similar. Things have not gone the way he expected them to go in his life of serving the Lord. And he wondered about Jesus, whether or not Jesus was really the one he was expecting him to be. So how do we respond to that? You know, Maybe the question comes down to, who is Jesus really? Do I know him? And that is the question that we find at the end of chapter 7 in verse 49. Who is this, is the question. Who is this? Who is this man? And that's what this, this passage will focus on for us this morning. So our main theme of uh, verses 18 through 35 of chapter 7 is Jesus may not be who we would expect, yet he is far greater than we deserve. Jesus may not be who we would expect, yet he is far greater than we deserve. So let's start again uh, at verse 18, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 23 under this first heading that we are to know this about Jesus. Okay, we're to know this about Jesus. He may not do what we expect. He may not do what we expect. Now, the, the last that, that Luke had told us about John the Baptist was back in chapter 3. So let's go back there to, to chapter 3 of Luke. Just turn a couple pages uh, to the left in your Bibles. John chapter 3. 
And let's recall what Luke reported to us about John, which will then help us to understand the context of John's question that he sends to Jesus in chapter 7. We're told here in in Luke chapter 3 that John began a ministry there in verse 3 of proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John confronted crowds of people who had come to him He had confronted them with their sins, calling them to repent of their sins and to, as it says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That is, not just to confess your sin, not just to acknowledge that you have sinned in these ways, but you are to turn away from your sin and live reformed lives. That was John's clear message. And so with this ministry, John was preparing God's people for the coming of the Messiah. That's a a great theme when we think about how Luke writes about John in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of this gospel. So he's showing them how they had been an unfaithful people and how they were in need of a Savior. John was warning them of the judgment that was to come through the ministry of the Messiah. And just listen to what he proclaims about the Messiah here in Luke 3. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. That is the Messiah. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In these verses, it seems, we are shown what John was expecting the Messiah to do once he began his ministry. John believed he was, that, that he was the forerunner, John was the forerunner, to call people to repentance to baptize them in preparation for the Christ who is to come and usher in this great separating of the people of God. He would would gather in those who had repented and those who had refused to repent would then face his judgment. Luke does describe for us that when John baptized Jesus, later on here in chapter 3, that there was this incredible revelation of God the Father from heaven, saying, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. That's in verse 22. So through that experience, John knew that Jesus really was the Christ. But soon after this happened, Luke also tells us that that King Herod put John in prison. And John never got out of that prison. Eventually, Herodias, who was actually uh, the wife of Herod's brother, whom Herod had had taken for his own, she wanted John killed. And so John was beheaded for confronting Herod and Herodias, telling them the truth about their sexual immorality, which was a dangerous thing to do in that culture. And it still is in our culture today. John died for confronting them about their sin of sexual immorality. But now we head back to Luke 7, which takes place before John is killed, while he's still in prison. So he's heard these reports about all Jesus has been doing, and he hadn't heard 
reports about you know, the judgment and the baptizing with fire and burning the chaff that John had said the Messiah would bring about. Instead, he had only heard about the healing and the teaching ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and although he surely heard some remarkable things, he was left wondering about why Jesus had not been bringing the judgment like John expected. John expected the Christ, again, to clear his threshing floor and separate the wheat from the chaff. And instead, Jesus had been proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that sinners can have their sins forgiven, that, 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 that all the brokenness that sin brought into the world can be healed, it can be restored. Even the dead brought back to life. Now, John wasn't wrong in what he had proclaimed about the Messiah. Jesus will definitely be the one who separates the wheat from the chaff or the sheep from the goats, as in Matthew 25, you know, the righteous from the wicked at the judgment. He will do that. He will usher in the great day of judgment. It's just that the day of judgment is still yet to come. So it seems that Jesus was, was not quite doing what, what John had expected, and that's why John then sends two of his disciples to question Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now maybe you have had similar thoughts re re regarding Jesus. Maybe you expected that, that once you began following Jesus, that your life would really turn around for the better, that you would be happy, that, that you would be content, or, 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 or that things would just go better for you than they were. But instead, maybe things are, are even more difficult than they were before you were earnestly following Jesus. Or, or maybe something very hard unexpectedly came into your life, and you would never say this out loud, but, but, but maybe inside you kind of felt like those things really shouldn't happen for people who know Jesus, for people who are seeking to obey the Lord. Well, if, 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 if that is you or if that ever has been you, I, I want you to look at this passage and notice something. Notice how Jesus responds to John's question. Notice what Jesus does here. Did he take offense at John's question? This, this question that the John asked that you know, kind of implied that maybe Jesus wasn't quite as great as John was making him out to be? Does Jesus rebuke John? Does Jesus just shrug off the question and not pay any, any attention to it? No, he doesn't. That's not how Jesus responds. Jesus is not at all surprised at, at the question. And Jesus responds with patience and kindness. He doesn't just give John a short answer, like, oh, of course I'm the, I'm the Christ. I mean, haven't you been paying attention? No, instead, Jesus demonstrates for these two messengers who he is. Look at verse 21. In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one 
who is not offended by me. Jesus basically says, see for yourself who I am. I am doing an even greater work than John was expecting. With what Jesus says in verse 22, he quotes several passages from the prophet Isaiah, which point to the Messiah and the Messianic kingdom. Jesus is saying, God has promised all of this to come for his people. And I am the one bringing it all about. I am the one who will accomplish all that the scriptures said that I would do. Which would include the judgment to come. But also includes God's judgment for sin to fall upon Christ on the cross. Jesus is saying that, that John, his disciples, and all those who were there listening to him will not be disappointed to put their hope fully in him. In fact, they will be blessed by God if they do so. So friend, that is Christ's word for you too. Put your hope fully in him. Read the gospels and get to know Christ for who he is. See how he helps those who turn to him in faith. See how he treats the weak, the broken, the sinner. Watch Jesus he may not do what you expect, but he will be far greater than you imagine anyone could possibly be. Then we see that anyone who trusts Christ and the gospel is greater than you might expect. This is verses 24 through 28. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are, king, are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. As John's two disciples leave, Jesus in order to report back to John what they had witnessed, Jesus turns to the crowds around him in order to teach them. And it, it is another remarkable lesson. He, he first gives his evaluation of John's ministry. And, and you could say that the Lord gives John some pretty high marks. Jesus knew that many of those who were following him were prepared to do so by John's ministry. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Remember, John's ministry primarily, primarily took place in the wilderness surrounding the, the, the Jordan River. His ministry was different than Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus went from village to village to preach, while John, it seems, just kind of hung out in the wilderness, and everyone came out to him to see him and to hear him preach. What did you go out to see, Jesus asks. Each of these questions that, that Jesus asks is meant to put a sharp focus on the fact that John was a great prophet. He was not a reed shaken by the wind. He was not weak in his preaching. He was strong and bold. He was not a man dressed in soft clothing and living in luxury. No, no. You could, you could say that John's choice in clothing left a lot to be desired. Clothing and luxury were not a big concern for John at all. No one went out to see John because of his style, because of how he looked. 
because of his engaging personality. They went out to see John because he boldly told them the truth. He was a man that was focused on his mission. As Jesus says, he was the messenger who was sent before him, the one who will prepare your way before you. He was a prophet and more than a prophet because he was the last prophet who would point God's people directly to their Messiah, to their king. He was a great prophet, the greatest of all prophets. But Jesus even goes further than that, saying of him, among those born of women, which would be everybody who had ever lived, by the way, none is greater than John. That's who they all went out to see, the greatest man that ever lived. Now, in 1964, at the age of 22 years old, a young boxer by the name of Cassius Clay, better known as Muhammad Ali, declared himself to be the greatest. He said, I am the greatest, after he beat the reigning heavyweight boxing champion, Sonny Liston, in six rounds. He first uttered that phrase in celebration just moments after he was declared the winner, but he must have really liked the sound of it, for he continued to refer to himself as the greatest every time he had the opportunity to do so. And even when he didn't, he still referred to himself as the greatest. Now, it's one thing to accomplish something and then to call yourself the greatest, the greatest boxer, the greatest baseball player, or as many fathers will be opening presents today, they will have T-shirts, ties, or coffee mugs, which have imprinted on them, world's greatest dad. But it's another thing to have Jesus, the Son of God, declare that John was not just the greatest prophet, but the greatest person to ever live. Hear it again in verse 28. I tell you, among these born of women, none is greater than John. That is greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than King David, greater than Daniel. What could have Jesus meant by that? What was he saying? Well, the only way that we can make sense of this lies in the ministry which John the Baptist had the privilege of fulfilling. That is, out of all the prophets of the Old Covenant, John was the one, the last one, who was able to point God's people directly to Jesus. Out of all of them, he saw God's plan of redemption most clearly because he knew the one who would personally bring about God's salvation. He prepared God's people and was able to point them directly to the Lord Jesus and say, there he is. Follow him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's why Jesus says he was the greatest. But then, even more striking is what Jesus said next. Verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Up until Jesus, John was the greatest who had ever been born into the world, but now the one who is least in the kingdom of God, that is, 
the one who has the weakest faith, the one whose gifts are the most unremarkable, the one who is the most unimpressive, you know, people like, like me, or maybe you, the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John was, who was just called the greatest born of women by Jesus. So how, how can that be? So again, John is able to prepare the people and point them directly to Jesus, who is the Redeemer. But John was killed before Jesus went to the cross. John knew Jesus was going to be the one who would take away the sins of the world, but, he, but, but how Jesus was going to accomplish all of that was still a mystery to John. He was ignorant of the cross and the resurrection. But today, if you know Jesus as Savior, and you know how Jesus accomplished our salvation through living the obedient life of faithfulness to God, which we, we failed to live, and, and, and that he was then condemned and crucified in our place to suffer God's wrath for our sins and that he was then raised from the dead for the justification for all those who believe in him as Lord and Savior, well then you know far more about God's plan of redemption than John the Baptist did. In fact, you know far more about, John, about God's plan of redemption than Moses ever did or David or Elijah. So friends, the greatest person, the greatest person in all of history is Jesus Christ. And the greatest news that anyone could possibly share with someone else is the message of the gospel, how Jesus saved us from sin, death, and hell, and can grant us eternal life through our faith in Jesus. And if you are a Christian, you know him. You know Jesus. You have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk to him through your prayers regularly. You hear him speak to you through his complete and sufficient word in the Bible. And you have been entrusted with an even greater privilege than John the Baptist was. For you can share the full gospel message with those who are lost and dead in their sins. And you can be the messenger God uses to bring them to new life in Christ by your teaching them about how Christ saves us through his life, death, and resurrection. What a privilege. What an honor. You can deliver people from hell by telling them about Jesus. Yet there is still a problem. That's what we get in the last few verses here, verse 29 through 35. And our problem is that we tend to not be satisfied unless Christ does only what we expect. Look at verse 29 through the end here. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, which is like a lament or a funeral song, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all 
her children. So Jesus is here pointing out that even though John was the greatest man to have ever been born before him, that there were still many who were not satisfied with John. Many rejected him because he wasn't what they were expecting him to be. He didn't do what they wished he would do. His message wasn't what they were looking for in a prophet of God. I mean, he drank no wine. He lived out in the wilderness. He kind of separated himself from the social life of the community because he he was so devoted to his mission of proclaiming the message of repentance. And quite frankly, that turned a lot of people off. But then Jesus comes, and in some ways, he is the exact opposite of John. He doesn't dress in animal skins and eat locusts. Jesus travels to different villages. He eats and drinks with those who invite him into their homes. Luke's already told us about Jesus feasting with tax collectors and sinners, celebrating Levi, the tax collector's repentance. But there are many who are definitely not satisfied with that kind of ministry either. And it's, and it's some of the same people who had a real problem with John that also have a problem with Jesus. So, you know, the world that we live in today is really not all that different from the world that Jesus was speaking into back then, especially if we could look at the hearts of people. There are people who claim to be Christians who argue that Jesus would lovingly affirm those who are pursuing romantic relationships with someone of the same sex, and even going so far as to to marry each other according to a recent Supreme Court ruling. And what they are really saying is that we expect Jesus to bless and affirm any lifestyle we feel like living out. That's what we expect Jesus to do. But there are also those who believe they're Christians, even calling themselves evangelical Christians, who just love listening to radio and TV shows where the politically conservative hosts entertain their audience daily by making fun of and mocking their political opponents. It seems these Christians would expect Jesus to be a lot like Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity and would be perfectly fine with the biting sarcasm and even the innuendo used by them to help their listeners to get a good laugh off their opponents. But when we we read the Bible, we definitely don't find Jesus coming close to giving his blessing to sexual immorality of any kind. Nor do we see him raising up uh, politics to the level of supreme importance that conservative talk radio does. Instead, we hear him say things like, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. And then there are times which every Christian goes through where the Lord leads you down a dark valley that you're never expecting to have to walk through. A valley which you kind of assumed those who love Christ would never have to deal with. But there you are. You thought Christ was supposed to be a deliverer, but instead you find yourself in darkness and despair. And in your heart, your heart begins to question whether or not it's really worth you know, continuing to put your hope in Christ. 
But the Lord Jesus is saying to us here, wisdom is justified by all her children. We don't really know how wise parents are until we can observe their children as adults. It takes a while to see that. So with Christ. We might not be able to see just how wise it is for us to put our hope in him now. But friends, there will come a day. In fact, the day is referred to as Judgment Day in the Bible, where all those who have put their hope in Christ and followed him will be shown to have been incredibly wise. On that day, we we will see that to follow Christ was the greatest decision we had ever made. And we will be so thankful for the incredible grace and mercy that he has showed us by coming to save us. Christ really is the greatest savior, the greatest deliverer, the greatest friend we could ever have or point people to. But the only way that we can do so is by faith. So have you put your faith in him? Is Christ your savior? Are you looking to him? As we move to the, to the Lord's table this morning, That is what is before us. The truth, the reality of Christ being Savior, of being our Deliverer, and of our receiving that message by faith. By faith in the Gospel, the Word of God, which tells us that Christ gave his life for us, that Christ laid down his life, that he sacrificed his life so that we could have life, that we could have forgiveness of our sins, be redeemed from our sins, be saved from death and hell, and be with him forever in glory. 